turn to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark, and she saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. So she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter and the other disciple went forth, and they were going to the tomb. The two were running together. And the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter, and came to the tomb first. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. So Simon Peter also came following him, and entered the tomb. And he saw the linen wrappings lying there, and the face cloth which had been lying had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. So the other disciple, who had first come to the tomb, then also entered, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. So the disciples went away again to their own homes. But Mary was standing outside the tomb, weeping. So as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting at the head, one at, one at the head and one at the feet where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I... I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came, announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. So when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his sides. The disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. 
If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were saying to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hand the imprint of the nails, and put my finger into the place of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. After eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your hand, reach your finger, and see my hands. And reach here, your hand, and put it into my side. And do not be unbelieving, but believe. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, you have, believe, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these, these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life. In His name. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of the Lord remains forever. We expect all our stories to resolve their problems, don't we? We hate stories with an unfinished Ending. We hate stories where the whole thing would be in vain. It'd be for nothing if the, the climactic event, the, the story arc, doesn't happen. It doesn't resolve the problem. If Frodo doesn't get the ring into the mountain of fire. If Anne doesn't marry Gilbert. If, if Elizabeth Bennet doesn't marry Mr. Darcy. If... If Reepicheep never gets to Aslan's country, we've wasted it all. It would, it would be in vain. We, we hate that sort of cliffhanger because it leaves unresolved, unfinished business. And you feel that your reading has been in vain. So it is with John chapter 20. If we come to John chapter 20, and, and Jesus does not rise, then the entire arc of the redemption, of redemptive history that has been played out from Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, all the way up to this point, it'd be in vain. It, it, you've wasted all that time. We are wasting time here today if John chapter 20 does not have the hope of the resurrection. Then we eat and drink and be merry. For tomorrow we die. If Christ is not raised, we are still 
in our sins. And we, as Paul says, above all people are most to be pitied. We're just wasting time here. But that's not how the story closes. In fact, Jesus does rise. And that makes all the difference. We have been, as we've been looking at John chapter 18 and 19 and now 20. We've been looking at the clash of the kingdoms. In John chapter 19, it looked as if the kingdoms of this world had prevailed. And I said to you. If you read it that way because you stopped there, you've read it wrong. Because Christ is securing victory in that chapter. And now He raises, He is raised from the dead to show us that the Word of God is sure and victory is ours. And so they had sought to conquer by the sword. Jesus brought victory in his death. And yet it's all for nothing if he doesn't rise. And yet Jesus does. And in so doing, he does four things in our text. What are those four things? I'm glad you asked. He conquers death. Because Jesus has risen, he conquers Death. He calls his sheep. Because Jesus is risen, his call is still going forward, and he calls his sheep. Then he commissions his disciples. Because Jesus has risen, he commissions his disciples. He sends them out just as he's been sent. And lastly, he convinces doubters. He convinces doubters. And that's just how the text comes to us. He conquers death. He calls us sheep. He, uh, he commissions his disciples. And he convinces doubters. So what do we see in Jesus conquering death? Oh, I've mentioned this to you before. But as you read John, John sort of retells chapter 1 again and again and again. As a matter of fact, I used uh, a couple of points, the very verses of John as sermon points, a couple of times. And we could even do it here, right? That all of John chapter 20 is a replay of the book of John wrapped up and, and presented. And, and what John is doing in chapter 20. Is basically saying to us. See. See this. This is what I've been getting at all along. I've written these things that you may believe. And you get those echoes. Right. He, he begins this chapter with, with echoes of chapter 1. It begins. With darkness, Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb in grief. And, and by whatever grief there is, she's not remembering all that Jesus has said. That he must suffer and die and rise. By all accounts to her, it's been in vain. And, and she has a lot more invested in this than you might think. 
We'll get to that. We'll get to that. But she, no, no, she is in grief, fully expecting him to be dead. And they're going to anoint the body that's already been done by Nicodemus and Joseph and Mary and Matthias. They're going to, to anoint his body with even more. And so she comes in grief because the light of the world has been slain. It begins in darkness because, because if Jesus is dead, all is dark. Jarosov Pelican said it this way, If Christ is risen, then nothing else matters. And if Christ is not risen, then nothing else matters. And for her, as she comes to this tomb, if he's not alive, it's all been in vain. And so she comes. And it begins with darkness because for those who love him, if the resurrection doesn't happen, then it's all for nothing. But you get there and you already see the light is starting to shine in the darkness, in the darkness of grief, in the darkness of doubt, in the darkness of all that is there. And the darkness, well, in this moment, does not comprehend it. She comes to the tomb and the stone is rolled away. And what does she say? They've taken his body. And she rushes to tell Peter and John. And so she rushes back and she tells them, and the other disciple whom Jesus loved, he, he sets it there. And they, they get up and they run. Now remember, John's giving eyewitness testimony. And I think he's doing a little bragging here. Because all men do. I will tell my brother every time of the last race that I beat him in. And so he says, look, they get up, they take off running. And well, the other one, he outruns him to the tomb. And, and so they, he gets there and he stops and he looks in, but he doesn't go in. Why? Well, you can't even touch a dead body. You can't touch the place of death. You'll be unclean. And so he stops. But Peter, Peter comes rushing in, doesn't he? Peter comes rushing in. Why? Why? Well, Peter, Peter has lost the most. He has the most to lose because he denied him. He, he's, he's, trying to, he's trying to get back. He knows what he's done. He has denied his Savior those times. And the rooster crowed and it's just as he said. And he wants to see what's going on. And so he gets to the tomb. And he goes in and he stoops. And he, he sees the linen wrappings, wrappings lying there. And the face cloth which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. They, they, have to see, they have to see for themselves, don't they, that death has been conquered. They get there and it's not a body that's been stolen. The grave clothes are left there saying, death can't hold me. You understand Lazarus comes out and he's still bound. He's going to die again. Christ is unbound. They're lying there. There is no... People who rob graves don't care about wrappings and unwrapping a body. They're going to take the whole thing and plunder what they can. They understand. And it says that John then goes in, he sees it, and he believes. Jesus has conquered death. 
They don't understand it fully. Verse 9 tells you that. They did not understand the scripture that he must rise again for the dead. But they are perplexed. But they go back full of hope, don't they? Jesus has conquered death. This was no grave robbery. They go back full of hope, each to his own home. Right? They don't go to the same place. John goes back. Why do you think he goes to his home? He goes to tell Mary. Jesus' mother. Remember, she's now in his care. He rushes back and he tells her. He tells her, the the grave is empty. The, The clothes were there and so this wasn't a robbery. Something big has happened. Jesus conquers death. And now, and now, Jesus calls his sheep. Apparently they ran back and Mary is in a, in a state of grief. She is bewildered and so she's walked back and somehow they get by her without her seeing them on the way. She's walked there. She's now at the tomb again. She's outside the tomb weeping. And so she stoops and looks in. And there are these two angels sitting there. One at the head, one at the foot. And she's still weeping. And they ask her, woman, why are you weeping? It's almost a cruel question. She's come to a grave. Why do you think she's weeping? But the angels know, don't they? They know that death has been conquered. They are there to tell her that death has been conquered. They are a part of that. Because for her, for her, if Jesus is not raised and His body has been taken, as she's supposing, well, she's hopeless and hopelessly afraid of what will become of her. Why? Why? Who's Mary? Well, a lot of people get her confused with Mary of Bethany, who's Lazarus' sister who anointed Jesus' feet, anointed Him for, uh, for His burial. They get her confused with that other woman of ill repute who anointed his, house, his feet at the house of a Pharisee. They think she's the same, but, but historically and textually, they're three different people. So who's Mary Magdalene? Well, you know something about her because as is our nature, when we know something about someone, that's the thing we remember. You forget all the rest. Life of service. And I say to you the name David. What do you think of? Life of service. And I say to you the name Jephthah. What do you remember? A life of service. And it doesn't have to be in the Bible. And I say to you the name Benedict Arnold. What do you think of? What do you think of with Mary? You know that the Lord has has released her. Freed her from seven demons. Bondage that, that was there. That at some time she wasn't even aware of. That she, that she had been bound by. Now, she's a woman of means, and she's one of the women that bankrolled Jesus' ministry. But you forget that, don't you? You didn't even remember that. 
Luke chapter 8, here she is, one of the ladies that bankrolls those 13 men who wander about uh, with Jesus and his 12 apostles for those years. But you remember, don't you, that the Lord has cast out from her seven demons. It's strange how that works. But she's heavily invested in this. Right? The Lord... The Lord has cast out these demons. Because if Jesus hasn't risen and, and conquered death, what, what will become of her? It's like that opening line of a movie. I won't tell you. It's, it's a good movie, but I won't tell you because I don't want you to go look it up on my recommendation. It, it begins with these words. I have long feared that my sins would return to haunt me and the cost would be more than I could bear. Mary knows the words of Jesus. The demon is cast out and it goes through arid places searching for where it may go. And if it, if it finds no place to rest, it comes back with seven more. And the state of that man is worse than before. She hasn't had just one. She's had seven. And the state of her soul would be worse than before if Jesus has not been raised. You see, before Jesus, it was likely that she, she didn't even see, she didn't even know of this bondage that was on her, this powerful bondage that, that held her, that, that kept her from seeing the truth. Because not all demons are manifested in in the way of the Gadarean demoniac. Insanity. Maniacal uh, acting. Breaking chains and cutting themselves. And living among tombs. Not all demons come manifested that way. In outward wickedness. The reality is many more are manifested in moralistic outworkings. Where people think they're okay because they are not like others. And their sins are bound up in their pride so that they don't even see their need of Christ. They are bound and don't even know it because they can't believe. They are blind to the truth and do not see themselves as sinners in need of a Savior. You know, they don't see themselves as sick in need of a physician. And they're so wrapped up in unbelief they cannot, they cannot believe. So how? How will she be made to see? When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know who it was. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing Him to be the gardener. She said to Him, Sir, if you have carried Him away, Tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Here she is. She's blinded now by grief. She's not held by the demons, but she's fearing they will come back. But she, oh, this beautiful picture of devotion, isn't it? If you've taken him away, tell me. I'll take him back myself. I will, I will deal with this. Just tell me. Tell me. She doesn't see. Tell me. He says, 
Mary. And she sees Rabboni. And she sees, and she's, she's, she's overwhelmed, and she, she grabs on to him. Like, like a child with a father coming home from work, happy to see him. Like, like anyone coming and rejoicing in the truth. And he says, no, don't, don't hold on to me. I've not yet ascended to the Father. How does, he, how does she see now? My sheep hear my voice. He called her name. And she sees. You can feel the soul warming, life giving, sheep loving depth in that Mary, can't you? Mary. Oh. And her night is turned to day. And so Jesus, in His resurrection, calls His sheep. Her Savior is not dead. Her life, her story is not in vain. She will be kept by His faithfulness. All His works are faithfulness. We saw that in our call to worship. She will be kept. He is alive. And so she's so excited about this prospect that she oversteps some, some rules of decorum and she's clinging to Him. Now, I can tell you what this is like. Some of you know that I have connections. I don't really. Jen does. We've, we've had friends that work in the Secret Service and we got to take a tour of the White House after hours. We got to see the pretty neat place down below where there's still a musket hole in one of the walls. We got to see places where it was born, burned, some of the original siding. And in my excitement, I just can't control myself. There were a couple of places that I got to go that if you take the normal tour, you don't get to go. I put my hand in and touched the walls of the Oval Office. And that was bad enough. I got, a, I got an eye from the... From the secret service man that was there. That was on duty. Not my friend. Because he was already walked off. I made sure he didn't see me. Uh, and then. We passed by the personal presidential elevator. The doors happened to be open. And so I reach in and I touch the wall. I overstepped the bounds of decorum. In my excitement of being someplace. Seeing something that I'm not. That I wasn't expecting to see. So it is with Mary. She reaches out and she grabs on because here he is and she doesn't want to let go. Her life isn't in vain. But Jesus isn't finished with her. He commissions his disciples and she's one of them. She receives the first commission. Go and tell my brethren. Doesn't. Go and tell my brethren. I ascend to my father and your father. And so she goes. And now, when it's evening that day, after she's already told them what she's seen, I've seen the Lord and these things that He said to her. They're sitting in the room. Doors locked. Fear of the Jews. He comes in and He says to them, Peace. Three times in this passage. Three times He speaks a word of peace 
to the disciples three times. He declares it. And what, what you may not be thinking of is the work of the high priest. The high priest enters behind the veil. And, and at some point they began sewing bells on their garments so that they could be heard as they wandered around in case not everything was perfect. And he was struck dead. And he wasn't brought out alive. He was, he was there. But if everything was accepted, he would come out and say those words. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. All is right. All is well with God. And so Jesus comes. And he says, peace. All is well. All is right. The sacrifice is accepted. The work is done. Peace, brothers. Peace. And so he shows them his hands. He shows them his sides. And then he commissions them. And he says, as the Father sends me, so I send you. And he gives them the Spirit for the task. Now, this isn't the giving of the Holy Spirit as if these men were somehow saved before without the Spirit. No, no, this is commissioning them to the task that he's giving them to go and proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. Right? As the Father sent me, so I sent you. The very first thing that Jesus came proclaiming is the repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Our king has won. Victory has been sealed. Christ has been raised. As the Father sent me, go and declare the kingdom of Christ. But there's one who's not there. That's Thomas. Thomas called twin, or Didymus, right? You all know, we, we don't know whose twin he was, right? We're never told, we're never told who his twin is, but, but you, can, you can think of Thomas wrongly. When I say Thomas, you automatically call him Doubting Thomas. That's not his name. His name is just Thomas, called twin. And Thomas is actually one of the more fearless of the disciples. When they are going up to Jerusalem, he says, all right, boys, let's go up and die with them. And they all follow him. Other than that, Thomas is silent in the New Testament. Until you get here, they've all seen him. And what does Thomas do when they finally tell him, look, look, fellas, unless... Unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And Thomas sounds right modern, doesn't he? I want scientific evidence. I want it in the test tube. I want it put in a way that I can understand it. I need this. Put it before me. And the problem is not lack of evidence for Thomas. The problem is he doesn't like the evidence that's been given. These are men and women that he's known for at least three years. Men and women that he has been close to. 
Men that he's trusted with his life, slept beside of, ate beside of, lived life with, and they tell him, and he just doesn't like the evidence they've given. A changed life. A heart renewed. Mary now full of joy, no longer full of grief. Peter chomping at the bits, ready again to declare the truth. And he doesn't like it. I'll take nothing except on evidence. And so after eight days, Jesus comes again, doesn't he? And he came to them and he says to them again, peace. And he says to Thomas, put your hand here. Put your hand here. Do not be unbelieving But believe. And Thomas answered and said, My Lord and my God. And Jesus receives his worship. And he says, What? Because you see me, you believe. Because you put your hands on me, you believe. Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. And that's where we live. That's where you and I live. I have never seen Jesus and neither have you. You you haven't seen with your eyes, but you know the truth of Scripture. You know that all His works are faithfulness. His Word is upright. And you have believed. And for those around you who come to you and rise up against you and say, I don't, li- I don't want your evidence. I need to see it. Put it in a test tube. The problem is not lack of evidence. They just don't like the evidence given. Sinclair Ferguson tells a story of a story he once heard. And he said it's in the old country, in Russia, when communism was taking over, there was a, an atheistic, communistic um, a scientist who was going to lead a debate with an old Orthodox priest so that all the town would come and hear the message of communism and how it puts the death nail in Christianity. And so the man gives his case, and the, the, the Greek Orthodox or the, the Orthodox pastor gives his case. And then the man rises and he gives a rebuttal. And he's going to have opportunity for another one. And he says, so what do you say about that? How do you prove this resurrection? He's wanting evidence. And that old priest, that old priest stands up before the congregation. And he says these words, he is risen. And the thunder of their response shook the place. He is risen indeed. Without hesitation. Without any halting. They responded because they know the truth of the claim. And the man said nothing more. And he left that place. And of course he didn't like the evidence The evidence of a changed life by the gospel. He is risen. And we know. We know that he is. Because by his spirit that he gave to them and gives to us. He testifies through his word. And to our heart.
And no matter what the unbelievers may say, they'll say, send someone back from the dead. Fine, send someone now. Meet our requirements. And what does, what does Abraham say to the rich man? They have Moses and the prophets. And if they will not believe them, though one rise from the dead, they won't believe them either. It's not for lack of evidence. It's because they don't like the evidence we have. And so our story then, it doesn't conclude here, but it reaches the pinnacle. Christ has been crucified for sinners. Christ has been dead for sinners. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And our story is not in vain. We know the end. And so for that, have hearts of joy and give thanks. Your life ought to be changed. You don't despair even in deepest dread and temptation. Christ has suffered hell for you. Christ has been raised that you might be vindicated. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Let's go to Him in prayer. Almighty God, give us hope in the gospel. Let us hold on to the glorious truth that our Savior has been raised. Our story is not in vain. We, we know that death has been conquered and the sting of death is no more. Lord, we pray that you will make it so in our life. In Jesus' name, amen.